0: you know i think one of the biggest challenges for people is to really believe that they matter i think a lot of people really struggle with the idea of am i really important they struggle with the idea am i actually valuable am i actually desired and do people really want me and sometimes we really struggle with do people want to include me in things I think it's easy to struggle as human beings with the idea, are we truly loved and are we valuable? I think sometimes instead of feeling that we're loved, instead of feeling valuable, sometimes we feel like I'm more just tolerated, that people maybe just put up with me instead of really want me around. And I think instead of feeling loved, a lot of people walk around just wondering, where do I fit in? Do people want to include me? Do people want me to be a part of things? And it raises a really good question. And that question is, why is it hard for some people to feel loved and valued? A lot of people really struggle with that. Why is that a hard thing for people to feel loved and valued? And why is that a hard thing for people that are Christians? That are even part of a church. Why do we sometimes feel that way? You know, I probably could go on and list a bunch of different reasons why or why not. But I think one of the main reasons that sometimes we don't feel loved or valued is because of the culture that we live in. Sometimes values people more for what they can do instead of valuing people just because you are a human being and that you're alive. Sometimes we value people more based on doing than on being. In our society, in our culture, it's really easy to value people based on how popular they are or based on their achievements or based on how much money we think they have or how much money we think they could earn. Or sometimes we think people are more valuable because of the education they have, or maybe because of a skill that they have, or a talent that they have, or an ability or a unique thing that they can do that nobody else can. But the truth is, every single person was created in the image of God, and because you're created in the image of God, you're valuable. But somehow or another, in our culture, we've forgotten that. We've forgotten the fact that people are valuable simply because they are created in the image of God. Sometimes in our culture, we tend to value people more on based on outward experience than anything else. And so as a result, we live in a culture and a community where people are always striving. You're striving to get more followers. You're striving to get more notice, striving to get more recognition. Sometimes we end up striving in our education. We might strive to get better at a skill because we want people to notice us. And then what happens along the way is sometimes we can become pretty controlling people. Because I want to control what another person thinks about me. Sometimes when that control happens, we tend to look at people as objects to be controlled instead of people to have friendships or genuine community with. And we do all of this simply because we want to be valued. We want to be loved. And we all want to avoid rejection at all cost. And in the process of all this, what we end up doing is we buy into the lie that says what you can do is more important than who you are. Then what happens over time, that lie settles in and we start to treat people the same way that we've been treated. And there you have a vicious circle of What you never wanted to be treated as, you start treating other people that way. And that's why one of the biggest battles in our life is over control. It's a big battle in our life. Who is going to have control? And it usually comes down to who is going to control my image? Am I going to surrender that to Jesus? Or am I going to try to control and maintain my own image? And that is something that I think we all need to take really serious. This is a critical part of our spiritual formation. It's a critical part of our discipleship to Jesus that we learn that we don't have to strive to fit in. That we learn that we don't have to control other people in order to fit in. Instead, to follow Christ means that my value simply comes because I'm a child of God. Not not by my accomplishments or my followers, It's simply because I follow Jesus, or simply because I'm a human being and I'm alive. That kind of seems like that shouldn't be that hard. It doesn't seem like it should be that hard to recognize that I'm loved and I'm valued and that God values me and loves me and that I'm in a Christian community where people love and value me. It doesn't seem like that should be so hard. Maybe you think, okay, I'll take a year or two to figure out the spiritual formation. Maybe for a year or two get really serious about doing scripture journaling or take a year or two to get involved in Bible studies and really feel like, okay, I understand that I'm loved and cared for and appreciated. But it's not that easy. One of the reasons that makes it so difficult is because we have an enemy. And we have an enemy that wants to control our image. And to be honest, sometimes we forget about the fact that there's an enemy in our life. We forget about the fact that we have an enemy that would really like us gone, would really like our life to be terminated. We have an enemy that wants to destroy us. We have an enemy that wants to harm us. And I think a lot of times we forget that we have an active enemy, and sometimes I think we forget, what threat am I? I kind of feel a little insignificant. Why would he really want to harm me? but he wants to harm you because the enemy's best way to get against his true enemy God is to harm one of his kids. And so the very fact that you are living and breathing makes you a target for the enemy because the best way that he can hurt God is to try to hurt one of you. It's no different if you have kids, you understand that, or maybe you have nieces or nephews or brothers and sisters. You know one of the best ways for a person to get at you is to hurt a person that you truly love. And that's why the enemy comes against us every day, but he, he prefers that we really don't recognize him as an enemy because if you don't recognize him as an enemy, you don't expect him. But I think it's good for us to remember that we have an enemy and the book of John, he's described as a liar. He's described as a father of lies. And in John ten ten, the famous verse that says, he's a thief and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's pretty much a good summary of the enemy that we have. That he's a liar and he's a stealer and he wants to kill and destroy you. And I think we forget what's at the heart of this battle. The heart of this battle is whose image are you going to bear? Are you going to become like him or are you going to become more like Jesus? And the enemy's plan is that he wants you to look a little bit more like him than you look like Jesus. And as we all are aware, that discipleship to Jesus is not often easy. It's going to take some dif- discipline. It's going to take some structure. It's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take some responsibility to say, okay, I believe God's calling me this month to participate in Scripture journaling. I'm really going to do it. But I'm going to maybe have to turn off something in order I can do that, arrange my schedule so I can prioritize putting God first in my life. But what's really hard for us too is because God wants to bring transformation in our life. And sometimes when transformation hits the part of our lives that needs to be transformed, there's conflict. Because when those two things collide, sometimes it's the pain in our life that ends up stinging a little bit more because we recognize that God is wanting to do some work in our life. It's so often the sin in our life is nothing more than a coping mechanism for us to live our life. And sometimes those coping mechanisms God call, comes for. And I think what's really tricky for us sometimes to remember is that we are in a war. We sometimes use Psalm 23 language. We like to remember the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This beautiful imagery of living the life on a journey. In a green pasture, but we forget about in Psalm 23. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes that nice, pleasant little journey with Jesus takes you into very difficult places. And I appreciate the Apostle Paul because he just downright says, it's a war. Paul says we need to fight the good fight of faith. He says our war is not against flesh and blood. He says as followers of Jesus, we are called to be soldiers. He calls it a war because it's not going to be easy. And he calls it a war because there's confrontation. And why is there such a war? Because a war is over the plan that God has for your life. I like what 2 Corinthians 3 says. It says, And the Lord, who is a spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. That's what God wants to do, to change us into his image. And we have an enemy that says, I want to block that because I want to make you into my image. And the beautiful thing about Paul is saying is that we are going to go through such dramatic transformation in our life that we are going to come out looking like Jesus. I think sometimes we think, oh, that's never going to happen, so why even try that hard? But that's what the plan is, and I think we need to participate in the plan so we look more and more like Jesus every day. So when people look at us and they observe us and they listen to us, they would say, huh. Maybe that's what Jesus is like. Maybe that's what God is like. Maybe that's the character I read about because I'm seeing it reflected in his followers. And that's the reason why this warfare is so important because we have to fight against the enemy that's trying to conform us into an image that God never intended for us. It's important for us to engage in this fight to take back control of our minds that so often the enemy wants to take from us. And that's exactly why spiritual formation is so important. Spiritual formation is actually a process of spiritual warfare against what the enemy wants to do in our life. You know, for the last couple months, we've been talking about spiritual formation, the things that we do, the activities that we do in our life to keep Jesus focused the primary focus in our life so we talk about the discipline of prayer and the discipline of fasting or dealing with your past or taking time in silence and solitude or taking time to do scripture journaling or be part of a bible study or part of an accountability group the different things that we do in our life to keep Jesus focused in our life so we've been talking a lot about that over the last couple months and recently I started reading a book by Robert Holland Jr. It's called The Invitation to Journey. And I think this has become my new favorite, favorite all-time book on spiritual, spiritual growth and spiritual, um, spiritual formation. And he has a quote about what spiritual formation is, and I think this is my favorite definition. He says, Spiritual formation is a process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Spiritual warfare is a process, or spiritual formation is a process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. I really like that, because I think sometimes it's easy to get caught up in spiritual formation is all about me and my relationship to Christ, and which is good, but we forget the fact that we're doing this is for the benefit of other people as well, that the reason we're spending time with Jesus is because God loves people, and he tells us... If you love me, you're going to love other people. So it's important to remember if we participate in scripture journaling, we're not just doing it so I'm closer to Jesus, but we're doing it so I reflect Christ better to my neighbor. And the time I spend in the morning, it's not just time for me to get cozy with Jesus and to feel his comfort, but it's so when I go out during the day, the other people that need comfort from Jesus would find it because they're talking to me. That the encounter that we have in spiritual formation would be so radical that it would go beyond just impacting me, but it would impact every single person around me. That's why I love that definition. Why we're going to do spiritual formation this month is so we can have a good impact on other people. But I also love part of that definition because he says, we're being transformed. I don't have to strive to do this. I don't have to work hard to do this. I don't have to control to make this happen. I simply got to like put a little skin in the game and to participate in this. Maybe get out the scripture journal and say, okay, I'm going to try to do this. I'll read the verse and let God come in and see what the power of the Holy Spirit's going to do for you. And that's the beautiful part of following Christ is that we are known by God And we become encountered by Jesus and then we become transformed by the Holy Spirit. And as these things happen, we become the people that live integrated lives. And it's such a powerful process that it just simply begins by making a little bit of effort and then seeing the transformation power of the Holy Spirit come up next to you. But we need to be serious about this. And we all should also should expect some conflict when we do this because we're going to battle over strongholds strongholds is one of those words that's used a lot in the old testament it's used in the new testament and it's easy to glance over that word and just say i'm not really sure what that word means and we kind of move on but strongholds is a very important word for us to know and understand what it means the basic definition of a stronghold that's a fortress Think of it as a big castle or a big walled-in city it's a fortress in the new testament paul is going to expand the definition of fortress and he's also going to use it to mean that it's a prisoner who's locked up by deception jenny liked that one that's an amen in dog language i like that jenny <laughs> she starts barking, then it's a really good message. (laughs) For now, I just got a little shake. All right, so Paul is saying that not only is a, a stronghold a fortress, but it also can mean a prisoner locked up by deception. In other words, what Paul is saying is a person locked up by deception is locked up by lies. A stronghold always begins in your mind, and sooner or later it's going to affect your behavior. So in 2 Corinthians 10, it's going to be an interesting chapter of the Bible because the heart of this chapter is Paul is addressing some of his critics. Some of the people have come against Paul and say, Paul, we really don't think you're qualified or we really don't think you have the capacity to do what you're called to do. And in verse 7, Paul just simply says, you're judging by outward appearances. So Paul's challenging the people and saying, you are not evaluating me correctly at all. You're judging by outward appearances. In a few chapters, or a few verses right before chapter 7, he starts addressing their problem. He's saying to them in verse 4 to 5, he says, he's telling them what they need to do to get right. He says to the church, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to God. See, there Paul's using the word stronghold again. Now in the Old Testament, a stronghold always referred to a fortified city or dwelling place for protection from the enemy. You might recall when David was in the wilderness in 1 Samuel, it talked about David would hide from his enemy in the strongholds. And in the Psalms, they would talk about the Lord is our refuge from the oppressed and he's a stronghold in times of trouble. So the Old Testament, there's all this imagery of God is your stronghold. He's your place of safety and security. And suddenly Paul is using strongholds in a different kind of a way. What does Paul mean here? See, what Paul is doing, he's expanding the idea. People understood what a stronghold was. They understood what a stronghold meant in Old Testament language. And he's saying, now imagine that stronghold But imagine that's your mind that's locked up with lies and deceit. Paul's saying to the people that there's no bars, there's no wire, there's no fences keeping people in, but a person is locked up because of the lies that they have believed. And Paul is making the illustration, building the idea that every brick that would build the fortress or build the wall is like every lie that's used against you to keep you in bondage or in captivity. And the more the more lies that the person believes, the stronger the fortress gets. The more lies a person believes, the taller the wall gets. And Paul is saying to the people that the only way that you can escape, the only way that you can find freedom is by the truth. Because the only thing that will set a person free from captivity of lies is the truth. And so in John 10, we read, John 10.10, 10, we read, it says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And the second part of that verse is, but Jesus came, that we might have life and have it abundantly. And then in 1 John 3.8, it goes on to say, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. See, that's the confidence that we have here, is that Jesus came to destroy any plan that the enemy set up against you. That any lie that you believe, Jesus came to as John 1, 1 John 3 8 says, to destroy. And that word destroy is a pretty powerful word because it means to loose, to unbind, or unravel, or to dissolve. In other words, what Jesus is saying, that any chain that binds up people will be broken because you're following Christ. See, the whole plan of the enemy is to bind you up and to lock you up, to get you to believe lies, and then make you think you can never get free. And there's a lot of Christians, I believe, that are living with lies, not recognizing that you can be free. But it's going to take a little effort on your part. You're going to have to understand what the truth is, and as Susie said in the scripture journaling this month, it's so important that you understand the character of God, because it's in the character of God you find your safety and security, but if you have no idea about the character of God, you have no idea of the Word of God, you're never really going to figure out the freedom that Christ has for us. I think it's interesting that when Jesus was tempted by the enemy, you remember three when Jesus was in the wilderness tempted by the enemy, the enemy would speak Scripture directly at Jesus. But he would twist them into lies. And how did Jesus respond? Jesus always responded back to the enemy with Scripture. And it wasn't so much that these Scriptures were some It's not like these scriptures are just these magical phrases that he could say to make the enemy leave. They were not some magical incantation to say, okay, I said this, now the enemy has to leave. But in a lot of ways, what those words Jesus was speaking is to remind himself of what the truth is. That we have to remind ourselves what the truth is because sometimes you remember when Satan lied to Eve and when Satan would speak to Jesus, it sounds so close to truth. It sounds so close to truth that it's easy to be deceived. And I think that's why Jesus said, no, this is the word of God. This is what God said to remind Jesus himself what the truth is. And if Jesus is going to have to do that, I think how much more are we going to have to do that? I think Jesus was giving us a pattern when the lies of the enemy come. It's good that we know the truth. Some of us have become comfortable with our strongholds. Some of us have become comfortable with the lies that the enemies told us, and we've just learned to live that way. And we forgot that there's freedom. That's why I love in 1 John 2, John's writing to the church and saying, I write to you because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Then John, a few chapters later, uses the same word. He says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is a victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. There's your promise and your guarantee from God that you can overcome any deception that the enemy's put in your life simply because you're a follower of Jesus. I love that word overcome. The word overcome is where you get the word Nikah. That's why we named our son Nicholas. That's where you get the word Nike. It means to be victorious, to overcome, and to overpower. And simply by being a child of God, simply by being, you have the ability to overcome. That's why we don't have to rely on striving or control. We rely on our Nikah, that we can overcome because of what Christ has already done but it's going to take a process. It's going to take a little discipline. And I think the best place to start out is in Acts 3, 19 that says, repent and therefore be converted. I think that's such a powerful scripture of how does this whole transformation process start in your life. I think sometimes we believe that repent is just, just saying, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. And that's true. That's an accurate part of repentance. But repentance also means to change one's mind, and it comes from the Greek word meditano, which is where we get the word for metamorphosis, that actually your repenting of the sin begins a new season in your life where God starts to change you and starts to change your mind. Forgiveness and repentance isn't just a one time, guy, sorry, I did that last night, and you move on, but that initiates a process where God starts changing your mind and starts changing your behavior, and that's why it says to be converted. Because God starts changing you and your life. That's simply how the change in the metamorphosis starts in our life. With repentance. But maybe there's one step before it. And maybe that step that we need to take serious is evaluating our life. To really take an inventory of what's going on in my life. And are there any strongholds that I'm believing in right now? Is there any deception that I'm believing in right now? Because like I said, sometimes it's easy to live your life and get so used to your own patterns that you need sometimes God to break in and say, we're going to highlight this area right now. I think the first step of this process is evaluate. And as David said in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous ways in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's the beginning of our process, asking God to search our heart Then I think it's good to answer the question that Jesus asked to the lame man, the man who couldn't walk in John 5, verse 6. He said to the man, do you want to get well? A man on the side of the road, not able to walk, and Jesus said to him, do you want to get well? You kind of wonder what a silly question. Of course that man wants to get well. But the fact that Jesus asked him this question does make you wonder because if that man was going to be well, his whole life was going to have to change. Maybe before he relied on other people to take care of all of his needs. Maybe relied on somebody else to give him food. And if he had become well, he's going to have to take care of himself. And that's a question we have to answer. Do you really want to overcome every stronghold in your life? Do you want to overcome every lie in your life? Do you want the power of God and the Holy Spirit to confront you in those wounded areas of your life? To speak truth in those parts of your life so you can walk out whole? Seems like it'd be an easy question, but sometimes we're so used to living, and sometimes our sin is nothing more than coping that helps us cope. Sometimes we just start praying, God, would you give me desire that I want to be well? Because the truth is, we all want to be loved. We all want to be cared for. We all want to live in a community where we feel valued and honored. But so often we walk around as traumatized versions of who God really created us to be. But the good news is God wants to change us and conform us into his image. The good news is the power is available, that the key has been given to us. And the promise has been made that God will set us free and break the chains from our life. That's the good news of the gospel, that we're not limited. Everything we need has already been provided for us. I want to close this message by reading a little clip from Oswald Chambers. In this, uh, this, this devotional, he, he's embellishing on Galatians 2, verse 20, where it says, the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God. I do not frustrate the grace of God. I think we all wonder what does that mean? I don't frustrate the grace of God. This is what Oswald Chambers says. He says, We are in danger of forgetting that we cannot do what God does and that God will not do what we can do. We cannot save ourselves or sanctify ourselves. God only can do that. But God does not give us good habits. He doesn't give us good character. He does not make us walk upright. We must do that. We have to work out what God has already worked in. Many of us lose out spiritually, not because the devil attacks us, but because we are stupidly ignorant of the way God has made us. Remember, the devil did not make the human body. He may have tampered with it, but the human body was created by God. And its foundation after we are saved remains the same as before. For instance, we are not born with a ready-made habit of dressing ourselves. We have to learn that habit, apply it spiritually. When we are born again, God does not give us a fully-fledged service of holy habits. We have to make them. And the forming of habits on the basis of God's supernatural work in our souls is the education of our spiritual life. Many of us refuse to do it. We are lazy and we are frustrated with the grace of God. It's kind of a little kick in the pants. A little bit of a reminder. There's some habits we need to start doing. There's some, we got to learn to dress ourselves, as he would say in this illustration. It's not a fun little raw message. But it's a good reminder of what God wants to do in us. But we've got to do our own part. We can't expect God to do for us what we can do on our own. But we can expect His Holy Spirit to enable us. So let me close with prayer and have Greg lead us up in the last song. So God, we come before you today, God, thanking you that you are a God who wants to transform us in the image of your Son. God, help that reality to sink into us. That you want to do something as radical as transform us into your son. That is an amazing thing to think about. So God, we come here today, and Lord, some of us, we want say, yeah, we, we want that to happen. And, but Lord, we also know that there's going to be confrontation in the parts of the shadow side of our life sometimes we want to avoid that but god i pray for each of us here and listening online lord that you would give us a godly and a holy desire and a boldness to want to be transformed to look like your son god i do pray for each person here or listening online lord that you would break us free from any strongholds that we believe that are that have bound us into deception God would you set us free from any lies that we believe about who we are or how we are set us free from any lies about our, our 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 identity would you set us free from any lies of the enemy that would try to hold us back or restrict us God you called us to be transformed in your son so we could bless our neighbor God we want to do that God, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would settle on each person listening right now to encourage us, to comfort us, and to motivate us to continue to move forward in your plans that you have for our life. God, give us ideas and creativity to, uh, to work this out in our life. God, we love you so much and are so grateful to be here. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.